Trump derangement syndrome is reaching its end stage. A massive Pennsylvania ballot counting decision from the Supreme Court. Big tech battle escalates with the DOJ. Trump takes on Fauci and so much more. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Like I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everyone, to the Buck Sexton Show. Thank you so much for being here. You will notice that right now there's a, a tension in most of the media broadcasts out there. There's an, there's an anxiety. That shows you in and of itself how many people are really invested emotionally, psychologically, professionally in a certain outcome of this election. And understand this, as I've been telling you all along, it is entirely unclear to me how liberals will be able to process a Trump reelection should that happen. It is entirely beyond my comprehension how they will manage to comprehend this, how they'll manage to actually deal with this without, I don't know, more craziness in the streets, rioting, looting, who knows? Or they'll just come up with another reason why the president didn't win this time around. But you can see it. It's getting worse because they're also saying crazier and crazier stuff, and you barely even notice it. And I'm talking about the biggest names, the Democrat Party. I'm talking about people with massive followings online and social media. These are people who you would expect to exercise some degree of judgment, some degree of or at least a, a willingness to hold back with their most insane and, and outlandish emotions about this upcoming election, which is now two weeks from today. And as we know, I think over 30 million, at least as of yesterday, early uh, early ballots have already been cast. So there's a lot of stuff going on already. And we can see how this battleground is shaping up so far. And it is going to be an absolute dogfight, street fight. Come up with your come up with your uh, term of term of art here. It's definitely going to get ugly. It's going to be ugly. Uh, You're seeing Trump derangement syndrome really reaching new heights, because remember, the last time we got to this phase, even Trump supporters, I voted for the president in the first election. I, I was a vocal supporter of him all throughout the general election, encouraging everybody I could to vote for him. And I thought I was doing something that was probably not going to work out. I just figured the Hillary machine too big, too much. Turned out, thank God, that was wrong. This time around, though, the liberals are going into this with a, a state of panic in the back of their minds. Yeah, they want to put on a big show of how confident they are right now. Oh, look at Joe in the polls. He's leading in every battleground state. He's leading in just the national poll. He's leading it. Okay, well, we'll see. We'll see. If anything, we've already come to the conclusion the Trump era that a lot of the old political uh, shibboleths, a lot of the old uh, maxims that we had lived by in politics turned out not to be true, right? Oh, the the candidate with the best ground game, the candidate with the most uh, with the most media buys in key markets or raises the most money. Oh, that's never really been true. No, Trump was 97 percent 
destined to lose in 2016, and they want you to believe somehow that he's even more destined to lose now. And I don't buy it, and I know you don't buy it either. So just remember that. There is an advantage, there is an incentive in making sure that Trump voters feel like this is hopeless. The media is in on this. Trump's opponent, Biden, all the rest of them are in on this. And now we've got this debate coming up on Thursday, which I'll talk more about. But I think this will be one of the most watched presidential debates in history. I think this one is going to be completely uh, off, off the chain, off the hook, however you want to say it. And you can tell based on the way the Democrats are looking at all of this and how they're preparing their own side that one And this will tie into our discussion about Pennsylvania and the ballot, uh, the delayed ballot counting that the Supreme Court has now said will occur there. I'm going to get to that. Uh, They want everyone to know they're not going to concede on election night if it's close. Depends on how close it is, probably, but they're not going to concede. So we're not going to be through this. So imagine all the tension, all the anxiety of this year. This, This has been a tough year for America. I don't care what part of the country you're in. COVID, the lockdowns. Just the general sense of of uh, misery and frustration that so many people have, including a lot of people that feel real lost because of the family members that have passed away from covid. You know, the country's in a tough spot right now. And fascinatingly enough, though, despite all those very true, those very true statements, you have 55 percent in the most recent polling of Americans saying that they think they're better off now than they were four years ago. I think that's only possible. The only way you get to that perception is if you're measuring Trump before COVID hit. How were you doing before COVID? And, the, and people believe that they're going to go back to that place as soon as we get through this. This is temporary. It shall pass. The question now is how soon and how much damage is being done in the meantime. But that's all a very rational way of looking at this. And you have to remember that we're dealing with an entirely irrational opposition, Democrat Party, mainstream media. Uh, Here is Elizabeth Elizabeth Warren, who I actually thought, despite her Native American heritage debacle, despite all that, I really believe that Elizabeth Warren was probably going to be the Democrat nominee and She came really, I think you'd say, in third place behind Bernie and Biden. Uh, But this is so. So that's important because here's somebody who's not just a a random TV commentator who's trying to get attention, who's not just out there trying to make a name for himself or herself by being outrageous. This is someone who we believe or we are led to believe should be taken very seriously. Right. We should listen to her. We should believe that she's thinking about her words. And then she says stuff like this, which I'd have to say for, for a sitting United States uh, senator for Massachusetts to say this, it's pretty crazy, but it's really indicative of this moment. I, I, don't, I don't think that this is an outlier statement, and that's what I believe is so important. I think that this is where the Democrats really are now. Not all of them, but a lot of them, most of them. This is now the ethos of the party. Here she is. Play clip three. The climate crisis is here. And no, it is not. The science around this is not controversial. 
The science is clear. In fact, you know what scares me to death? Is every time we get more data and reanalyze the data, what we discover is the problem's even worse than we thought. We have even less time than we thought. And so what has Donald Trump done for four years? He not only hasn't made things better, he has actively made them worse. He withdrew us from the, the Paris Climate Accord. He's put a coal lobbyist in charge of the Environmental Protection Agency. What could possibly go wrong? He has opened up for offshore drilling, and he has said yes to the oil companies. They can drill in the Arctic National Wildlife Preserve. Donald Trump threatens the existence of human life, of all life on this planet. Now, that last line is what I really wanted you to hear. Donald Trump threatens the existence of human life on this planet. Donald Trump is going to make humanity go extinct. Do you, do you see that? Do you hear that, friends? Sitting senator from Massachusetts came in third in the Democrat primary. She says that out loud. She says that over a loudspeaker at a, at a, con, a press conference. Doesn't even, doesn't even really get much notice. Yeah, that's pretty standard. Trump is going to eradicate the human species. I'm not I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating. Donald Trump threatens the existence of human life. Those are her words. Her chosen practice prepared words. How do you handle a left wing opposition that speaks in this way that that takes these kinds of positions? How do you have a civil political dialogue with people who keep looking at you saying the data says unless you do everything that we say? Human life will cease to exist on this planet. Wouldn't it be challenging to come up with a with a crazier theory? Wouldn't you have to really struggle to come up with something that is both uh, cataclysmic in its outlook and catastrophic in its implementation, which is what this Green New Deal and all this climate stuff would be? Wouldn't you uh, see it that way? Yeah. Uh, And then there's the other part of this. Here we are still struggling through COVID, uh, still on this uneven footing, depending on what state you're in. Some places doing a little better than others, but country's not normal. We don't get to really see each other, socialize, live our lives, go out there. Nope. Everyone's being told all the time, wear a mask, stay inside, be afraid of your fellow human beings. Stay away from them. Everybody. Not safe. Can't even go to Thanksgiving dinner, Fauci says. Sorry, no Thanksgiving for you this year. Right. They're saying all of that, and yet Elizabeth Warren will also turn around and start talking about the climate crisis. I mean, she was talking, I don't even remember what it was she said, but, uh, you know, they're going to go drill somewhere. Who cares? Only people for whom this is a religious belief think that anybody sitting around wondering about how awful it is that the president has a a person who's tied to the coal lobby working for the EPA, or uh, if that's even true, I don't even know. And uh, the point is, I don't care. It doesn't matter. We got much more important stuff right now. But her voice is quivering, and she's at least projecting this sense of uh, of imminent catastrophe, unless we defeat Donald Trump at the election. They can't just make a normal good faith argument about where Trump has succeeded, where he's failed, what they do better. It's vote for Biden or else the world is going to come to an end. 
And that's not me exaggerating. That's what their pitch is. That is what Elizabeth Warren is telling you here. An existential threat to humanity. That is what Donald Trump represents. Now, I understand that by looking at the craziness of the other side, there might be a, a complacency or I don't know, you could go with complacency or you could feel a helplessness. How could we combat this? How can you deal with this level of ideological insanity? But I'm bringing it up just because I think when you see what the leaders of that party are saying and what they're willing to say about this president, you'll understand everything that's going to flow from here until the next few weeks because I don't think it's going to be over in two weeks. I think they're going to extend it. You're going to see that this is everything they've got. You know, and so much of this, I think, is also tied into people who are, and I'll just say it, people who have a kind of emptiness. I've referred to Hillary Clinton before as having a hole in her soul. And I think there are a lot of people who have holes in their souls right now, and perhaps even more so than usual because of all the understandable anxiety and all the all the friction and and fear around covid. Uh, But instead of taking a a longer term view about why we're really here on this earth and thinking about a a relationship with God and taking it to that level of, of existential thought and consideration and philosophy, they turn around and no Trump is an existential threat to people who don't know why they're here. Trump is an existential threat to those who have to seek some other form of understanding what their purpose is every day, because if it's defeating this politician named Donald J. Trump, who I think did a very good job as president, as you know, is clearly not a threat to the world and uh, is more capable in every respect than his competitor here, Joe Biden. You know, if if that's really an existential threat to the world, what are we to make of what's happened for the last four years? Doesn't make any sense. There is a senselessness in the arguments here. So just be prepared for it because it's going to get very nasty out there. It's going to get ugly and it's going to get evil. They didn't do anything really so far, at least with ACB. Seemed like they couldn't come up with anything. But you are going to hear things said not just about Trump, but about Trump voters, too, for the next two weeks that would shock a person who was not prepared with an understanding of just how deep into Trump derangement syndrome the left has gone. You've got to keep it in mind. You've got to remember that. Because otherwise you're going to be caught off guard. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And if you're voting for that man who two weeks from Election Day is calling for the arrest of his opponent, then you have absolutely no idea what America is about. Let me say it again. You have no idea what this country is about. If you are supporting a man who two weeks out yeah. is calling for the arrest of his money, you can't, you can't explain that away. You can't explain that away to history. You can't explain that away to your children or grandchildren. You just can't. And you can't plead ignorance because you know better. I don't think you can explain away spending more than 15 seconds watching the Joe Scarborough show in the morning, but that's me. Here he is, one of the most fervent anti-Trumpers out there. And look, we all understand this same thing with 
these different anti-Trump groups that have raised all this money from Democrats to trash Trump. It's just about money, it's just about influence, money, power, no principles involved here. There's no such thing as a principled, never Trump, pro-Biden, conservative opposition. Certainly not anymore, and you could argue probably not from the beginning either. There's no such thing. Just frauds. Just people lying, pretending to be something that they're not. But here you get Joe Scarborough saying that the big problem he sees, one of many, I'm sure, with Donald Trump, is that he was calling for the arrest of his opponent. And I'm not going to call him out because he's a conservative radio host. Not one of the very, very big names, so before any of you guys, but somebody yesterday I saw saying that, you know, could you imagine if Democrats were calling for the arrest of their political opponents? Come on, conservatives, like we can't. And I'm looking at this saying, what do you think the Mueller probe was all about? What do people think using a special counsel that was unaccountable to anybody, really, because you had a, an attorney general who was recused, so nobody was going to step in and actually make sure this was on the up and up. What do you call unleashing a special counsel on people with the express purpose of taking down an administration, prosecuting people within the administration, up to and including the president if they could get away with it, if they had enough to impeach and remove, they would have done it and then tried to, tried to throw Donald Trump in prison. You know that. They want to throw General Flynn in prison after 30 years of serving in the United States military and being the DIA director under the Obama administration because they lied about a conversation that he had with a couple of FBI agents who lied about why they were even talking to him in the first place to get him. So now we're going to get lectured by the other side when the Hunter Biden emails have come out and we see what's really going on. We're going to get lectured about how, oh, but you shouldn't want anything you shouldn't want to see your, your opponents prosecuted. The Democrats tried to imprison Trump, Trump supporters, his family members, everyone around him for almost four uninterrupted years. And then and then impeached him anyway when they couldn't actually get the political muscle together to really make it happen, to get a removal from office. So now we're going to be lectured about how Trump says lock her up. Trump says these things. And he actually has a point because Hillary did break the law. And it looks like maybe Joe Biden also did break the law. Hillary 100 percent broke the law. I don't care what moron James Comey says. Uh, but now we have Joe Biden. Maybe he broke the law, too. So did the law does the law count or not? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The whole lock them up. Uh, false conspiracy theories against the Bidens really is stunning. I mean, he could be talking about the economy and making false claims about that, but, you know, blame it on COVID. He could be talking about a Supreme Court nominee who is popular with his base and what they've done with the courts. Yet he's going after, you know, these Rudy Giuliani created, you know, false plots that we now have learned uh, could well be tied to Russian intelligence because Giuliani was wittingly or unwittingly meeting with Russian intelligence agents. People have been designated by the U.S. government as such. What the heck is she talking about? Let's really dig into this for a moment, shall we? That is uh, Andrea Mitchell, who, for reasons unbeknownst to me, is considered a person that other human beings should listen to on matters of politics and news over at NBC and has for a long time. I know she's been in the game for a long time. She's over at NBC. And she's saying things 
that are the mainstream Democrat talking points right now. She's saying there's a Russian conspiracy theory. She's saying that Rudy Giuliani was talking to Russian agents and all this. They're bringing back the whole Russia thing. It's, as Yogi Berra said, deja vu all over again. Like, that's where we are. This is 2016 part two. Do you recall, I think it was earlier in the summer, I said they're going to bring back Russia collusion. I wasn't sure how. I thought maybe they'd just make the same allegations, but I knew because people have been hardwired on the left to think of Russia as this omnipresent menace that can go after you everywhere and anywhere in favor of Donald Trump. It's, it's always on Trump's behalf, too. It's never just an attack on the country. It's always like Trump is so tight with Putin and all this other stuff that they've been told. But she's saying the Hunter Biden scandal is a false conspiracy theory. What is false about it? Really spend a moment to think about this today. What, what exactly has been said that's not true? No intelligent person believes that the laptop is not Hunter Biden. It's a laptop that has intimate photos of Hunter Biden on it. And that's putting it gently. Uh, no one thinks that that's not real, that it's some deep fake. No one said that. The campaign hasn't claimed that that's uh, the case. They've only said that Joe Biden didn't have an official meeting on his schedule with this Russian. Look, here, here's what you have to start with. Run this thought experiment. If there was a video of Joe Biden laughing, and, and again, this is a this is a a thought experiment theoretical, right? So I'm not, and I don't want Media Matters or whatever to clip this, and oh, look what Buck Sexton's saying on his radio show. No, I'm just saying, think this through. If there was a video of Russian intelligence agents sitting down with, or, or sorry, a Ukrainian businessman, forget about Russian intelligence agents, Ukrainian businessmen sitting down with Hunter and Joe Biden talking about the payment structure for this Burisma scheme and how, they're going to make sure that the investigators, you know, get pushed away from this and all this other stuff. Right. But if it was on tape, smoking gun and we already have smoking gun emails, but let's say it's on video. Do you think any of the people that were calling this a conspiracy yesterday or today would change their minds tomorrow? Do you think that any Democrat with power and influence in the media or in the Democrat Party is able to be swayed no matter what the evidence is here around Burisma and this corrupt scheme? The answer is no. So when you understand that, when you see how it doesn't matter, then you can also understand very quickly why is it that they just keep saying things that are so obviously untrue. Because, friends, when it comes to defeating Trump for Democrats, the truth does not matter. It's irrelevant. They don't care. How else could you explain what they're trying to do here? How else could you explain uh, the way that they're just pretending these stories? At first, it didn't exist, and they tried to suppress it. And then they tried to call it a non-story, but turned out that the suppression effort became that day an even bigger story than the Hunter Biden story. And so then it probably spread even further than it would have otherwise. And then they said, oh, it's not really it doesn't show anything. He didn't do anything wrong. That was always Joe Biden's line when he was pressed about this months and months ago. Oh, he didn't do anything wrong. That's what he would yell at reporters, the occasional reporter who would ask about the Burisma situation. And now beyond that, I mean, going even further. Uh, they're saying that it's a Russian disinformation 
campaign. They have exactly zero evidence of this, but with incredible precision, like a Swiss watch. All of a sudden, this became what you would hear from the biggest news outlets and the biggest, you know, Democrat mouthpieces in the whole in the whole country. Uh, you have Politico. Here, here you go. Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo. Dozens of former intel officials say our intelligence community is never going to recover. Its reputation is never going to recover from what's happened in these Trump years. I mean, the fact that you had Brennan and Clapper and, and all these other deep state clowns doing the stuff that they did to try and destroy Donald Trump is stunning. Absolutely stunning. I mean, they're supposed to be nonpartisan professionals who don't get into the political fray. And what we saw was they're actually willing to be weaponized and use their access and the powers of their office in order to pull that off. Right. That's. That's what uh, we've learned about my old my old uh, institution, the CIA place I worked for 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 years and made some great friends there and have some very fond memories of the place. But it was a mess then. But we did have a purpose. We did want to prevent the towers from getting hit with more towers from getting hit with planes or, you know, public squares getting bombed. These kinds of mass casualty attacks. We had a reason for showing up to work every day that for at least a time seemed to transcend politics. And with the with the uh, not entire disappearance, obviously, I saw what just happened in France with this guy who got beheaded for showing a cartoon of the prophet Muhammad. That's still a thing that can get you beheaded in France, apparently. Uh, but with the with the decline of Islamic, uh, well, of jihadism, Islamic radicalism around the world as a an imminent threat to the U.S., what we see is now the biggest threat is supposed to be internal. It's almost like all these lib movies and TV shows that I've seen where the bad guys always end up being, you know, the, the real threat to the United States always comes from some corporation or some uh, some right wing group that's trying to seize power from within from within the government. Right. It's, but it's always very, very right wing. They believe this. I mean, they've come to believe this at a time when the left can call upon the biggest, wealthiest companies, most influential companies in the world. Right. Remember, Facebook, Google, and we'll talk about the DOJ suit coming up here against them to try to finally break break up at least Google which I think is absolutely should happen. There should be more competition. More competition ensures for more accountability. Uh, and antitrust for people to say, oh, Buck, let the market speak. Well, I don't, I don't want to get I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll get there. But the left has a stranglehold on these massive institutions, more influential, powerful, wealthy than than any other corporations really in the world. Remember, there's Walmart will sell you stuff. Facebook and Google determine what you see, what you buy, how you communicate. Far more influential, right? I mean, I know Walmart does a very good job of delivering stuff for a, or, you know, putting stuff in the stores for a cheap price. But what these social media giants do, the left controls them. And yet they're always worried about Trump as the fascist. This is a this is a fabrication and this is a figment of their imagination. Donald Trump is on the cusp of some kind of uh, right wing 
overthrow of our government system. And this is the kind of language that they use. Meanwhile, on the other side, they actually tried to overthrow a president. They just tried, they just used the weaponization of the law and the intelligence community to achieve that. And fortunately, they were unable to succeed. But that doesn't mean the next time around they won't. And why should we believe they won't try it again? Think about this. They got away with it. They weren't entirely successful, but who's been held to account? And I know it would look, it would have been more powerful, more clicks, more downloads. If I tell everybody, oh, the Dur- Durham's going to get everybody. He's going to line them up and frog march them out. The Durham probe is couldn't tell you that because I knew it wasn't going to happen. Or at least that was my very strong feeling that I felt obligated to share with you. And sure enough, here we are two weeks from an election. Yeah, the Durham probe. Not so much. Not so much. But these former intelligence officials, uh, these former intelligence officials who are coming out and saying the Hunter Biden story is Russian disinformation. You also have to remember they see something in this for themselves. It's all about now it's it's changed so much because of instantaneous and omnipresent digital media. It's about your profile. You know who gets the top jobs in the next Biden administration? The people who are the best known, have the best connections and the most clout in many ways, honestly, the most famous in their field or the most well, you know, well known in their area of of practice. So for some of these former intelligence people, if they want to be the CIA director, deputy director, FBI director, you name it, a great way to do it is by signing your name to things like this. So you got these 50 former intelligence officials sign this letter casting doubt on the provenance of a New York Post story. Here's what it says. Quote, the emails allegedly belonging to Joe Biden's son has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. The letter signed on Monday centers around a batch of documents released by the New York Post last week that purport to tie the Democratic nominee to his son Hunter's business dealings. Under the banner headline Biden's secret emails, the Post reported it was given a copy of Hunter Biden's laptop hard drive by President Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who said he got it from a Mac shop owner in Delaware who also alerted the FBI. While the letter's signatories presented no new evidence, they said their national security experience had made them deeply suspicious that the Russian government played a significant role in this case and cited several elements of the story that suggested the Kremlin's hand at work. Uh, Nick Shapiro, a former top aide under CIA director John Brennan, provided Politico with the letter on Monday. He noted that the IC leaders who have signed this letter worked for the past four presidents, including Trump. That means nothing. The real power here, however, is the number of former working level IC officers. Look, friends. Uh, the CIA and the intelligence community are full of a bunch of libs. Elizabeth Warren was uh, is a United States senator and was a professor at Harvard Law School. And she says the president's an existential threat to human life. Okay, do you you think that that mentality she's an elite, you know, Harvard professor, rich lady living in Massachusetts. And she says stuff like that. And people clap for her. You don't think that there are plenty of folks working in the intelligence community, working in law enforcement who also feel that way. And if you felt that way, if you really believe the president was an existential threat to this nation, to our institutions of governance, or to human life on planet Earth, what would you not be willing to do? 
So we know the crazy is there. We know the crazy is widespread within the Democrat Party. So what else do we have to do here for everyone to understand that that's going to have consequences? They they're signing a letter. This letter is an embarrassment, an absolute embarrassment. They're just basically saying, don't believe it. Rely on our resumes and our perceived credibility in the public's eye. Uh, Don't don't uh, believe that this is real because we say so. This is scary. I mean, really, the suppression campaign around the Hunter Biden emails for me is still and, and on the, the make believe Russian dis the disinformation is calling this Russian disinformation. That's the great irony. But whatever works, we're in this final stretch here for the Democrats, whatever they have to pull off, whatever they have to say, they'll do it. They'll do it. And that, that's what you're seeing play out right now. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. This is the laptop from hell. They say right in the laptop that, you know, the big man has to get 10 percent. And then in another case, they say 50 percent. This is 100 percent. This is and even if he didn't get and he does get and he lives like a king, even if he didn't get. All of this money, and everybody's known this in Washington for a long time. This isn't surprising. Nobody's surprised by this. But even if he didn't, you can't go to China and have the sudden walk out with $1.5 billion to manage. You can't go to Ukraine and have him get $183,000 a month with a $3 million upfront payment. You can't get $3.5 million from the mayor of Moscow's wife. $3.5 million dollars. And you have no experience. You didn't have a job until your father became vice president. It, it's disgraceful. How is Joe Biden going to escape all this at the upcoming presidential debate this Thursday? How, how is he going to evade all of these questions and allegations? Clearly, the president's going to bring them up. And th- this could be it. I just hope that Trump is able to stay focused and stay on task, pick his punches and throw them one by one. Don't flail, so to speak, right? He needs to be precise when he goes after Biden on this stuff. Because this also goes to a much larger issue beyond even just the corruption. Think about how much you've been lectured for the last four years. I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting angry. And I rarely get angry, but I'm getting angry about what I'm seeing unfold here with the media because the favorite thing that they always say about Trump is he lies, he lies. That's all they'll say, right? I mean, I, I remember back in February being on the Bill Maher show and it was just impossible to get a word in edgewise or, because it's just, well, Trump lies. So he's a liar. So everything he says doesn't matter because he's a liar. How do you argue with that? What do you say to somebody when they say that? First of all, I think that's not true. And we've discussed many times here on the show, the president can be a little bit... Uh, a little bit grandiose, a little bit of a salesman, but he's he's been upfront about who he is and what he wants to do. And that's the fundamental truth of his presidency. The one that matters to all of us, not, you know, whether he thinks he had the biggest crowd size at some event or not. Who cares? But Joe Biden's a liar, friends. And not only is he a liar, he has the entire media complex acting as his uh, as his conspirators his co-conspirators in the lies you know it's one thing to have a president who has the entirety of 95 percent of the media apparatus constantly opposed to him and they talk about the risk that he poses of fascism 
That's the media in a, in a fascist country. You know what the media does? The bidding of the fascist. What's more likely? You get a Joe Biden presidency and all of a sudden there'll be an effort to completely suppress the truth and support him no matter what he does. Which is the one that should scare people who believe in the free exchange of ideas more? We all know it's not Trump. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So the very fact that these uh, emails come into the public sphere from Rudy Giuliani, the fact that Andre Durkacz seems to know more about these emails than almost anybody else, um, tells you where they're coming from. I, I mean, at some point, you, you sort of have to believe what you see, which is that when individuals who are either identified Russian agents or are conspiring with Russian agents are providing the information upon which mainstream media are reporting, um, you have to understand what the, what, the, what the deal is here. And again, I'm not alone here. 50 high-level intelligence agents, people who have worked in the intelligence agencies, came out and said um, that this is most likely Russian propaganda. That means nothing. That means nothing. It's obvious why they would take that position. There's a benefit for them. Right. They, they politically are invested in Joe Biden beating Donald Trump. And some of them, I'm telling you, want to get back into the game at the top of the intel community and be important and, uh, and powerful again. And one way to do that is by signing letters like this. Who, who do you think the Biden transition team is going to want to have running their CIA or their D, you know, become their DNI if they manage to get to that point by beating Donald Trump? People that will sign a letter like this when it counts. Everyone knows this. Everyone can see it. But where is there evidence that this is disinformation? It doesn't exist. But the evidence for Russia collusion also did not exist. It was a fabrication. It was a falsehood from top to bottom. There was no collusion. And yet now we're at a point where they're telling us the exact opposite of what is true is true. Uh, This is the ultimate gaslighting. And that's what this has turned into. If Joe Biden was a solid candidate, if Joe Biden was inspiring and people really believe that he'd do a great job, why why would people need to resort to this kind of stuff? Why would the attacks on Trump have to have to involve lies? Because now, remember, if it's Russian disinformation, now Trump is the liar, you see. So so it actually goes from defense to offense. Not only is this thing not true. Trump is part of a conspiracy against Hunter and Joe Biden with it. That's why this is so useful. You can never disprove it. How can you disprove it's Russian disinformation? Well, you know, prove it isn't. That's the way they approach it. At least I mean, a normal, rational person wouldn't say that, but that's what they're doing. And beyond that, it's not just, oh, Hunter didn't do anything wrong. It's this is the problem that we have now uh, because of Donald Trump. You see, so they turn defense to offense. The, the shield becomes the sword. And that's that's all a part of this as well. In the last couple of weeks here, friends, this is it is game time. You know, it's game time. So I don't know. You know, it's kind of an intense show today. And I'm just because I'm, I'm feeling like we're in the fight. And I'm not going to lie to you. I think Trump's going to win, but it's going to be close. It's going to be ugly. And it's not going to be over on November 3rd in my mind. Maybe it will. I I love it when I make predictions and I hope they're wrong and they are wrong. But not always the, that, that tends not to be the, really the only thing I can think of in recent memory. Well, ACB hearings didn't get as crazy as I thought they would. 
uh, the efforts to stop that. And Trump's election in 2016. But other than that, on the big ones, I tend to get it right. But I, I'm trying to avoid getting into the the Jeffrey Tubin story. I, I don't think this is a, this is just is prurient the right word or, uh, you know, this is salacious. I don't you know, this looks it's Tubin's a Tubin's a jerk. And so people see a guy like this who's a hack and who's nasty to people and has a really, you know, really bad history of behavior that makes him an, an odious fellow. And he does something that is this level of embarrassing. I, mean, I can't even really describe it on radio. I mean, he's special fun, fun time. Um, is that how I described it? You described something else like that. I felt it applied here. <laughs> okay. Fun, fun time. Um, yeah. So Jeffrey Tubin was having some some self fun, fun time on a Zoom call, which, as you know, includes video with some esteemed colleagues of The New Yorker, which is probably the snootiest left wing uh, publication or, you know, liberal publication out there. It's the snootiest. Right. The most. Oh, I subscribe to The New Yorker. Oh, listen to me. I'm so fancy. I believe in The New Yorker. I mean, yeah, some of the cartoons are clever, but other than that. Uh, and yeah, it's not from a big story. You know, initially it came out and they said that there was. So I guess we are good. I, you know, we need We need a break from all oh, this guy's falling in Trump and all this stuff. Uh, so initially the story came out and it said that he exposed himself accidentally on a Zoom call. And now to this, because a lot of us are working from home. I work from home. Other people. I thought, all right, look. You know, everything's got a camera on it these days. We're all super connected all the time. You know, if he left a laptop open, thought he closed out a window and was on the other side of his apartment. I think he lives in New York where, you know, space is small. Even if you're rich, you don't have very big space. Uh, and if you're not rich like me, you have very small space. But, you know, you could see, OK, look, this can happen. It's embarrassing. But then they suspended him. I thought, Ooh, whoa. I mean, come on, it's an accident, right? I mean, this is like, uh, you know, come on. And I thought, no, nah, this is more than that. It wasn't he was changing on the other side of, of the bedroom or something and left the Zoom call open and someone got a quick flash. Of, I'd say, look, come on, we're all adults. I mean, it wasn't intentional. You know, he says, sorry, you let that go. This is a little worse because he was on a Zoom call and apparently on another Zoom call at the same time. And the other Zoom call was clearly more interesting because uh, he decided to engage in self fun, fun time on the video. So this is going to be a tough. That's a tough one to uh, to live down, although I'm sure C CNN is going to bring. He'll be back. He'll be fine. He's already a very wealthy guy, so he'll be all right. Right. And that's the thing. Uh, but it, I guess I don't even know what the what the well, there are a few lessons learned from this one, but I think one of them is. Uh, you know, you never want to be that guy who people think is so nasty and so vicious, such a jerk in the media or in any business that when something like this happens to you, there's very few people that are willing to show any sympathy. Very few people that are willing to say now. And I'm talking about the initial allegation, which is different from what it turned out to be. So maybe maybe that's a lesson from it. And the other one is uh, all mics are on and all video cameras are are recording and you just you know you don't know you don't know but that story i think everyone also focused in on that because 
they just wanted something that wasn't the sky is falling in Russia and all this really intense election stuff. I, I think there was just a psychological need for a story that was something else uh, in the, at the top of the news ticker for a few for a few hours. So that one broke uh, yesterday. And now producer Mark has reminded me that we can always use the euphemism fun, fun time because uh, we can say that on radio. Right, Mark? There's no FCC issue there. So there we go. Yeah, that's the perfect way to describe it on radio. I think that's right. You know. And, uh, you know, just for everybody out there, if you're going to have fun, fun time, make sure you've closed your high level work call Zoom. That's important. You know, Im- important safety tip for all involved. And I will say it's a level there's a level of embarrassment that even when somebody is is pretty is a pretty honestly pretty awful person. There's a level of embarrassment where you you see it, and you, re- you just go, oh, man. And I think this reaches that one. This reaches that one. So I guess we'll just take the lessons learned and now we can go back to the Russian disinformation. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, we just stand for the principle the American people have a right to know what's going on here. The director of national intelligence today, I know, made it clear that uh, there is no evidence to suggest that the information on that computer reported in the New York Post is a, is a result of any disinformation campaign. Uh, and the American people have a right uh, to know about uh, the business dealings of the Biden family. I mean, I mean, Lou, we just spent the last three and a half years uh, where uh, the Democrat uh, nominee in 2016 uh, had had worked with a foreign entity to try and dig up dirt on President Trump. And I I don't remember uh, the media shutting off access to that information. And yet they've shut off this information as much as they can, although it doesn't seem like it's going to work to prevent people from being able to at least access it. Uh, whether they believe it or not, that's another part of this, too. There's the suppression that comes from preventing distribution. And then there's also the uh, the suppression that comes from forcing people to, or bringing people to doubt the veracity of something. And so it's one thing if the email never gets into your inbox, let's say, so to speak. That, that's you can block information that way. It's another thing if you've already been trained to believe the email after it comes in is fake. It's not true. What it's saying is so that's another part of what the media has been doing here. What Pence says is obviously true. Uh, Pence's claim here, the American people have a right to know. I don't think anybody could make a, a serious case to dispute that. And so since that's true, since that's the situation, what is the holdup then with the media? They're just throwing up these smoke screens. And for a media apparatus that has been completely fascinated with getting Donald Trump's tax returns as if that was going to be some smoking gun and bring down his presidency, that was a huge story. It was a huge story before they even had the tax returns. They just would make stuff up about what they thought might be in them and then report on what their guesses were. Uh, Then you have this where all of a sudden this huge scoop, this big story is not touched by the mainstream media outlets at first. And then all they try to do is kill the story after the fact. I mean, the New York Times printed something earlier this week saying that there was a, a staffer on the New York Post who works for the New York Post who was uncomfortable with going forward with the story. Okay, there are a lot of close calls that get made in newsrooms sometimes. Who cares? 
What's the, what's the New York Times doing? Well, we all know what they're doing, carrying water for the Democrats. I mean, to the point where at least I think they're getting a good workout. They're probably uh, building up those lats and traps and you know, carrying all that water for Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris is making the media physically stronger in theory. Uh, and, and then you also have what the uh, VP is hinting at here. And the DOJ came down with it today. The antitrust actions that are coming up. We've got this one against Google. But first, here's the vice president on the role of big tech in all this. Play 14. And let me be real clear. President Donald Trump and I are not going to let big tech block the truth. We're not going to let big tech censor what Americans read or see or say in this election or ever. That's great if it's true. I hope they can make it true. And then we also have uh, this from the DOJ today. DOJ uh, saying that they're bringing an antitrust, a full on antitrust lawsuit against Google. Now, this is going to get antitrust and monopolies. And this is an area where people know the terms, but it's it gets down deep in the weeds very quickly. But this is the biggest challenge from the government against a tech company to come up in, in many, many years. I mean, this goes you'd have to go back to probably what Microsoft in the in the late 90s and the early 2000s for anything to be similar to this. I mean, this is it's been a long time since you've had something like this and it's massive. I mean, Google is effectively a trillion, a trillion dollar company. And it takes in about $160 billion of revenue every year. The way Google makes most of its money is through advertising. But there's also this other way that it's, and this is what comes up in the suit, that the DOJ has filed. And Bill Barr said that they were going to take big tech to task on this stuff. They were not going to allow this to just continue. But uh, what you see here is the, the area of vulnerability that they're going after so far is big tech uh, thinking, or in this case, Google thinking that it's allowed to make all this money off of advertising, but then cut these deals with all the smartphone makers that the default internet browser is, uh, the default internet browser for all your smartphones is going to be Google. So you open your phone, Google's already installed. That's what you're using. You do a search on your phone. It's using Google. There is Bing and there's Yahoo and there's uh, there used to be Ask Jeeves. I think that one went away. Am I forgetting? Is there another one that anyone really uses these days, producer Mark? I don't know. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure there's not really uh, and it's certainly no near competitors. I mean, Google has 80 to 90 percent of the overall search engine market, which means that its ability to determine what companies are successful and what ideas are, pr- are promoted and presented. And Google is a, a fantastically powerful company. And now they're going to be held to the same standard as other companies when it comes to anti-competitive practices. I think the stock actually jumped up a little bit on news of this, which is interesting because the breakup value might enhance. I don't know. I don't, I don't really even understand how that works, to be honest with you. But I mean, I have the basics of it, but I don't know why people would necessarily assume that. And uh, now we're going to get into a, a real a real fight between a company that has effectively endless resources and the federal government, which also has effectively 
endless resources because you know where the federal government gets its checkbook from? You. And it'll keep writing those checks. Got no problem with that at all. So, look, uh, I think this is the right move. I think that we do have to regulate big tech. And I wish that I could say that this was, oh, let the free, let the market speak. Let the free. But it's not a free market. It's not. There are a lot of government regulations that are already in place that affect companies, that affect uh, the way that you'd be able to compete with some of these monopolies. And remember, monopolies are really only possible if you go back and uh, look at sort of the uh, the Austrian school and the uh, the Milton Friedman take on this monopolies are only possible with government collusion. So this is a problem that government has had a hand in. And now the government is going to try to do something to fix it. And I agree when government tries to fix things, it often makes it worse. But if we keep losing the big tech, uh, meaning politically, now they're trying to separate this. They're trying to say that, oh, this has nothing to do with suppression of conservatives. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's a different issue, but it has shown people. I think there's a greater willingness now to take on the antitrust aspects of a, of a case like this against Google because we realize that these companies are pushing ideas and they are friends to those certain people in power. And that's something that has to be looked at more closely. Uh, they've gotten this free pass. Remember, Google's old mantra was don't be evil. Quite a strange thing. I know Google is now part of Alphabet. That's the primary holding, you know, the holding company that Google is a part of. Uh, but don't be evil is not something that you would think a neutral Internet platform that just wants to be helpful and give people great free products and a means of communication. They wouldn't have to tell people that. But there's there's some other things that are going on behind the scenes here. It's a very left wing, a very left wing company, very left wing institution. And now it's going to have to answer for some of what it's doing, because wouldn't it be nice if there were search engines that were really competitive with and weren't so dominant in the marketplace? Because then when Google is, is doing, you know, a uh, the, the main site is a BLM is basically a BLM poster or is all about, I don't know, some other political issue. You'd say, OK, look, I don't really like this. I don't like what this company stands for. I'm, I'm going to. Go with, uh, you know, Yahoo's version of this or something like that. So we shall see how this plays out. But don't hold your breath because it's going to take a long time and Google's going to fight like mad and they've got the resources to do it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. As promised, our friend Sean Parnell joins us now. He is a former Army Ranger, decorated combat veteran, author, best-selling author, and currently running in an absolutely critical race in Pennsylvania for House District 17. Sean Parnell joins us now. Sean, my man, great to have you. Hey, great to be here, Buck. How's it going? Oh, man, it's it's crazy for me, but I feel like it's probably even crazier for you right now. Two weeks out from from the big day. I want to get into what you're seeing nationally and also specifically in your congressional race out in western Pennsylvania. But first, we have this Supreme Court decision four four. It came down. So tie, which means that it reverts to the lower court decision in Pennsylvania, which said that. Well, actually, Sean, let's have you're, you're in that state. So this is really going to matter, folks like you. What just happened here? What did the Supreme Court decide to do? Well, uh, they allowed for a ballot extension, Buck. 
Um, they, the Supreme Court effectively moved the election day uh, from November 3rd to November 6th. And so what's really disconcerting about this is that ballots can be returned up to three days after election day and don't require a postmark. Now, I, look, I, I, this is not me trying to throw partisan jabs, right? But I think anybody that's approaching this in a fair-minded way sort of scratches their head and, say, and says, what is going on here? How does this make sense? Pennsylvanians deserve uh, free and fair elections. And I, I think people are worried that the Democrats are going to see, you know, how, by, how many votes they're down on Election Day. And then they're going to go into overdrive over the next three days to try to deliver those votes. And look, I, you know, we've known all along, Buck, that Republicans are going to show up on Election Day around here. And, and again, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but I've never seen an enthusiasm for a president uh, like I have here in, in Pennsylvania. And truthfully, you know, we don't focus enough on this, but the proof is in the numbers of our voter registrations, Buck. And we are just, we are absolutely destroying the Democrats in voter registration. And I, and I say this all the time, but Pennsylvania is actually more favorable for the president today than it was in 2016. The only difference is, is sort of, sort of the chaos that's surrounding the mail-in ballots. Now, that's really interesting to hear because we keep seeing that the big headline is Trump is down in every national poll, in every battleground state. You know, this is what the drumbeat is from the media. And I think it's it's men, at least in, in part, to demoralize. Uh, and they're very happy about it. You know, the same way that they were talking about a, you know, Amy Coney Barrett uh, polls showing that a majority of the American people didn't want her confirmed. And that was a big talking point. Well, then the hearings happened. And now firm majority of the American people wants are confirmed. And now poll, now polls don't matter all of a sudden about that. Right. So we, we know that the the uh, the evidence, the basis for all this changes so very, very quickly. Uh, what are you seeing right now in Pennsylvania that that is favorable for the president? I mean, you're telling me that that early I mean, that uh, that voter registration is up. Do we have any sense of how the early voting is going? Well, Democrats are beating us in early voting uh, and it's not even close, but. Uh, look, bottom line is this, the, the, the people that are voting right now on the Democratic side of the aisle, uh, and this is just, you know, you know, my campaign talking, right? But they're, by and large, people that were going to show up on Election Day, and it looks to us like they're cannibalizing their own Election Day vote. Uh, we talk about the, the numbers in the state of Pennsylvania, Buck, and these are hard numbers. You know, the Republicans have regi- registered over like almost over 200,000 new Republican voters since 2016. That is, that's some of those people are undoubtedly Democrats that maybe voted for Trump in 2016 that maybe switched party registration, but nowhere near all of them. And so uh, in Pennsylvania, President Trump won the state of Pennsylvania by 44,000 votes thereabouts in 2016. And, and it, we've got 160, 180 plus thousand new newly registered Republicans here in the state of Pennsylvania, by the way, who aren't reflected in the polls, who are definitely turning out and voting for President Trump. Now, in, in my district, Republicans are also beating Democrats in voter registration. I think we've registered a thousand more Republicans uh, than the Democrats have registered uh, for themselves. And so, look, I, I, those are the numbers that I look at. And I look at the numbers here in Pennsylvania 17 as well. And and if the district had existed in, in 2016, President Trump would have won this district by over 10,000 votes. And Senator Toomey, in the very same year, 
won the district by 17,000 votes. Now, you will never hear that portrayed on the media, right? You will never hear those those hard numbers uh, portrayed on the media because they'd rather focus on polling whose methodology, quite frankly, is dated. And, And here's why, Buck. Look, we've got Governor Tom Ridge, who's a guy that I respect immensely, uh, who's a lifetime Republican here from Western Pennsylvania, was a, gov- was a congressman in Western Pennsylvania, a governor, is voting for Joe Biden. But almost every Democrat that I talk to in Beaver County, all of which is in my district, are voting for Trump. How do you poll that? How do you find statistical sampling that would represent that? It's, it's very, very difficult to poll Western Pennsylvania. And I, I will tell you this, this race, both Pennsylvania and PA 17, is going to be a razor thin margin. It just is. Speaking of Sean Parnell, he is a former Army Ranger, and he is now running against Connor Lamb out in uh, Western Pennsylvania Congressional District 17. Sean, uh, you know, you and I talk offline a lot, too. We've known each other for years. What what is your response to this obviously concerted and and really ruthless campaign to pretend that once again, Donald Trump may win, according to the Democrats, because of Russian interference, this time a Russian disinformation campaign around Hunter Biden's emails? Uh, Buck, look, I, 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 I've, never seen, I've never seen the media like this. And it's not just the national media. I've never seen the media so in the tank for a political party before in my life. And I look, man, I think it's dangerous. You know, the people rely on the media to get the truth and the facts out about both parties. Look, I want the media to ask me tough questions, but the media should also ask Democrats tough questions as well. Like, for example, uh, Connor Lamb is not on the record about court packing. Connor Lamb is not on the record about removing the filibuster. Connor Lamb is not on the record about issues that would fundamentally transform our country. And this is not Sean Parnell saying this stuff. These are Democrats national Democrats in Washington who say they're going to do this stuff if they win. Now, if we had a responsible media at the local and national level, they'd be asking the Democrats these questions and getting them on the record. And the fact that, that look, this Hunter Biden story, it, this, is a, this is a huge deal. The fact that the Biden family, what it looks like, they profited off their name to the tune of tens of millions of dollars funneled through Hunter Biden and into the Biden family from countries like Russia, Ukraine, and China. And, and that to me is just, it's just unbelievable to me that, that one, the, the Democrats and the media are push peddling this Russia disinformation nonsense to, to where even the, the DNI has come out and said, no, that's not true. But what's worse is that nobody has, has even really asked Joe Biden in any sort of concerted way about it to the CBS reporter who did it, I can't remember his name. Hey, kudos to him for actually asking the question. But but the American people need and deserve an answer on these questions before Election Day. And it's just staggering to me that he can get away with it. It seem, He can seemingly get away with it. Now, Sean, your race is being looked at as one of those uh, bellwether congressional races for the rest of the country, particularly because, you know, you're you're a veteran running against a veteran in a swing state, in a, as a contentious an election as anybody's ever seen, and a swing state that now is going to have the extension, the three-day extension, as you mentioned, uh, to get ballots in, don't even have to necessarily be postmarked. Uh, what should people know about, about uh, your opponent, Connor Lamb, and how you stack up against him? And people be hearing this that are 
in and around your district? Well, I would say that, you know, when people, you know, people in Pennsylvania 17, they think, you know, Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are both radical, right? Um, but and sometimes they don't think that Connor Lamb is, even though his voting record is exactly the same. And what I say is that if you look at Ilhan Omar and you look at uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they're outward with their radicalism. Connor, Connor Lamb is almost more dangerous because he keeps it under wraps and nobody here locally holds him accountable for his radical voting record. Um, you know, Connor Lamb is, is a case study in contrast of somebody that comes around every two years and tells people what he thinks that they want to hear in district and then goes to Washington and does something completely different. And by the way, said he was going to be pro-gun, has an F rating with the NRA today, said he's going to be pro-life, votes against the Born Alive Act twice, said he was going to support President Trump and the Republicans who put him in office, voted to impeach the president, said he was going to oppose Pelosi, votes with Pelosi over 90 percent of the time, takes FOP endorsements in 2018, and two years later, he's marching with defund the police radicals. I mean, the, the, just he, he is just a case study in, in contrast. But, it sounds like Joe and, Biden and a little bit. Message. It sounds like the, the whole Joe Biden presidency is premised along a guy that, you know, he's not you can trust him. He's not so bad. He's not so radical. Joe even says that. And then you say, well, well, hold on a second. You were saying you wanted to ban fracking like five minutes ago. That's pretty radical. Yeah. Well, not only not only Joe Biden, but Kamala Harris said she bans fracking day one. And uh, the Unity Task Force, which is Joe Biden's uh, environmental and energy task force, the chair of that task force is Bernie Sanders. The co-chair of that task force is Alex Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And Connor Lamb is on that task force as well and works for them. Now, all of these people have been on the record saying that they're going to ban fracking, all of them. And so are you going to believe what they say two weeks before an election when they desperately need uh, the, the votes of people in Pennsylvania? Are you going to believe what they've said all along, uh, you know, up to and including the primary? I, I would say uh, look at what they said in the primary, look at how they flip flop, but also look at their voting record. Right. Like every single one of those people. I mean, uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, co-sponsored the Green New Deal in the Senate. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez introduced the Ban Fracking Act in the House. Uh, Connor Lamb uh, voted to block our withdrawal from the Paris Climate Accord and voted to, to pave the way for a future Democratic president to ban fracking on private and federal land. Look at what these people do. Don't necessarily listen to what they say when they're desperately asking for your vote in an election season. Sean Parnell, everybody. He's running in Pennsylvania's 17th. Hopefully going to be the next congressman from that district. We're, we're, we're pulling for him. Sean, my friend, always great to talk to you. You've run, a, you've run a heck of a race so far, man, and we just we know you're going to finish strong. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Buck. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. They want to take away your guns, your oil, and your God. Okay, that's what they want. They want to take away your Second Amendment. They want to take away fracking and oil. They don't care. They want to take it away. They want to go to the Green New Deal. That's not for Texas. Texas is not going to be losing their guns, and they're not going to be losing their oil, and they're not going to be losing their religion or their God. President's telling people the truth about uh, about the, the fracking, the oil. I mean, you, you can't have a Democrat party here that thinks that, as we talked about at the beginning of the show today, 
climate change is an existential threat, CO2 emissions are an existential threat, and then say that they're not going to be hostile to uh, fossil fuel usage and emissions and all the rest of it. And guns, too, I, I believe. And this is not a... Some of my predictions I'm very confident in. This one's a little more speculative. But I think at some point they're going to use their newfound health authority, you know, health emergency authority. Under a Biden administration, they will expand that to the uh, health emergency around the gun violence epidemic. You know, I take the Democrats at their word when it comes to what they say they want to do when they can get away with saying it. Not not in a general election a few weeks before people are going to cast votes, but when they're just thinking out loud or telling their base what they're going to try to accomplish, I think they should be taken uh, taken seriously on that one. And this is also true on the on the issue of uh, of taxes, because it's so strange. Uh, They keep saying that they're not going to raise taxes, but then it comes out. No, they are going to raise taxes. But they're only going to raise taxes, they say, on some people. Well, is that going to include uh, small business owners, let's say, who can be taxed at the maximum individual rate? Is that, you know, where, where really does this, does this uh, change in tax policy leave us all? Here's uh, Kamala claiming that Trump, of course, is a liar. Uh, we'll talk about this. Play eight. And by the way, you know, in those debates... As per usual, you can rely on Donald Trump to engage in distortions and, and, and basically lie to the American people. So let's be clear about this. Joe Biden will not increase taxes on anyone who makes less than $400,000 a year. Period. Right. Uh, keep in mind that state and local taxes are almost certain to go up in all these Democrat, Democrat places. And now everyone says, oh, well, Buck moved to Texas or moved to these other states. And that's good. And my brother just did. My brother's down in Austin, Texas right now. I'm going to go visit him hopefully in about uh, three or four weeks after the election. Uh, But they can get you at the federal level, too. And that's part of the game here. That's part of the plan. They want to go after you on the federal side for more money. Uh, So remember that. And they also are going to find all kinds of ways to increase taxes without saying they're really increasing taxes. Uh, they, don't really under, they don't really believe that Economics 101 is what it is. They think that they can always find a way around it. Uh, New York and New Jersey, by the way, I know that only some of you live in one of those two states, but California as well is, uh, is super high tax and going to be higher tax soon. New York and New Jersey for top earners which you live in New York City making over $400,000 a year doesn't make you rich by any, it makes you upper, upper middle class. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true in New York if you look at the projections uh, because of how expensive, quality, how expensive uh, daily living and real estate is here. 58% would be their, uh, the top, top rate, according to the Wall Street Journal here. You'd have a 58% all in state, local, federal, if you make four hundred grand. Um, that's not that far off from Sweden, my friends. That, that, starts to really, uh, that starts to really get up there. But you're going to see more of this because Democrats are going to have to enlarge government. They do have a year of massive spending and, and dwindling uh, or dropping, I should say, revenue that they're going to use for all of this. So just get ready for it. And you're not going to be told the truth. Oh, one other thing I wanted to note here. Pelosi, speaking of the spending, I don't think Pelosi is... Uh, gonna, there's not going to be a deal today. 
Uh, when you hear this, that could change, but unlikely as I go on air right now, not going to be any deal. And, and that just tells you a lot about these Democrats. People really are suffering. The Republicans wanted to get money out there. Nancy Pelosi's offer to struggling small businesses and, and workers across America right now who need help. They've got bills they can't pay, who are in a really tough spot. Nancy Pelosi's uh, explanation for them is that they'd rather have no, that she'd rather they have no money than have money, but Nancy not get her political wish list uh, from the Congress and signed by the president. That's really what it all comes down to. So Nancy's willing to watch workers suffer, which I don't think is surprising to anybody, but here we have very clear, very, very blatant evidence of that. So the party that claims that they care so much about working people is, in fact, making sure that working people will have a harder time paying their bills. No deal. It's been weeks and weeks of negotiating. Pelosi's going to end up, it seems, again, it could change, seems like no deal because today's the deadline and Pelosi doesn't want Americans to feel better, not until after the election. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about vaccines. First, some good news. I feel like we could use a little bit of good news today. Uh, there's at least one major vaccine developer uh, believes right now that there will be a if if it is approved, there will be distribution of a vaccine uh, under an emergency authorization by as soon as now some distribution of it by as soon as uh, December. So that's a good thing. Uh, that's it. That's really encouraging. Um, and that's something that we should all say, OK, well, at least Operation Warp Speed, it looks like it's going to uh, going to come to its its happy conclusion in that regard they'll get there quickly but then we also have to deal with the once again change in what the parameters are here we were told locking down until a vaccine was crazy and now we are firmly being pushed into the locking down until after a vaccine will be necessary this is from Today, uh, CNBC, coronavirus likely to become endemic as the flu and a vaccine might not be able to stop it, according to a top UK scientist. Uh, So now you have scientists telling you we're going to have coronavirus for the foreseeable future, years, maybe decades to come. Now, I'm not sure that's true, but let's just understand that they're already saying this. Do you want to wear a mask the rest of your life? Do, do you want to live in fear of your fellow human beings for the next 10 or 15 or 20 years? Look at how long we've had influenza outbreaks. It's going to become endemic, meaning within the population, and vaccines won't stop it. Now, we'll have hopefully better therapeutics. We'll bring the fatality rate even, even lower. But at some point, people are just going to have to stop being terrified. They're just going to have to be willing to roll the dice. You never know. You know, you can step off the curb and get hit by a bus because the driver you know, thought he was taking Tylenol and he took a few Ambien. You know, you just don't know. And you can only take certain mitigation, sorry, I had to, measures in life. You're still always going to be at risk. You leave your house, you're at risk. You stay at home. 
you're online, you know, buying stuff and everything else. There's risks everywhere around you. Now, I don't say that to make you anxious or nervous. I say that to make you feel free. You do the best you can. You make the most intelligent decisions possible, especially when it comes to your health. You know, I'm trying to eat healthier these days. And I'll just tell you, sometimes these days, I'm like, you know what? I just, uh, yeah, I want to have a cookie. Shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it. And uh, I'm going to work on my willpower and I'm aware of what's going on here. But, you know, it would be healthier for me if I just ate you know, green veggies and chicken breast three or four times a day. I can't do that right now. I'm just not in that space. But I'm I'm understanding this. I understand that I'm, you know, not not as healthy and not as probably well functioning a machine as I could be. I'm just saying we, we all we all have to start on. We all have to start pushing back to normal life. And the problem I have with Fauci and the rest of the lockdown chorus is there's never they just keep saying we can we can have our lives back when the virus is gone and we know it's never coming back. That will be a very long time and it could even be forever. And that's unacceptable. I find that entirely unacceptable as a proposition. And as a part of this, that's why they're pushing all this vaccine stuff now. No, I don't mean pushing vaccines, pushing doubt about vaccines. Here is a, a bunch of Democrats out there making sure that the American people know they think these Democrats that you can't trust the Trump administration's FDA. Here you go. Uh, please play nine. As you know, President Trump has promised a coronavirus vaccine by the end of the year or maybe sooner. Would you trust that vaccine? No. I would not trust his word. I would trust the word of public health experts and scientists, but not Donald Trump. First of all, I don't trust the president on vaccines. I think it's going to be a very skeptical American public about taking the vaccine, and they should be. He will push anything to get reelected. Don't fall for it. And by the way, I will take the vaccine after Ivanka takes it. You would be hesitant to receive the vaccine if it were approved by the end of the year. I'm going to... Yes, I would be hesitant. I mean, if doctors and scientists like Dr. Fauci are taking that vaccine, of course I will take the vaccine. But we also know that we can't trust the president uh, and take his word. I trust vaccines. I trust the scientists. But I don't trust Donald Trump. And at this moment, the American people can't either. How is that supposed to work? The president's going to what? He's going to uh, break into the computers of all the scientists at the FDA. He's how is that even supposed to happen? How could we have a situation where the president's saying this vaccine is safe and the FDA would not have already approved it? It makes no sense. Right? This would be like saying we're afraid the president is going to do a, uh, you know, an airstrike on Iran tomorrow um, but, you know, the, the military, you know, we know the military won't go along with it. Well, OK, but if the military won't do it, then it's not going to happen. So what are they even talking about? They keep saying, believe the scientists without the scientists signing off on this. Trump wouldn't be able to be in a position to tell anybody to take it. And I, I know but putting aside for a second that they just love any narrative where he's a moral monster, right, where he's doesn't love his doesn't love his own family, doesn't love anyone. It's just as you know, they. They've created such a, such a caricature of this guy who's a, a really likable, decent guy. That's part of this that doesn't really get enough attention. But the president's a nice guy. 
I mean, he's got, you know, he throws elbows and he's a tough New York guy in a lot of ways. But, you know, he also can be very sympathetic. He's too loyal, I think, to a lot of the people around him. And he's not some some evil monster who wants to eat everyone's babies. I mean, that's not the president of the United States. But you get that sense from the media very clearly. He would lie about a vaccine and put everyone at risk. Really? And how would it even it doesn't even make sense. It's a thing that people who think they're smart but are actually dumb say out loud. There's no way this is a serious uh, consideration or concern at this point. But New York State, under Governor Cuomo, has already said that they are not going to, uh, you know, they're not going to sign off on this in the state of New York, where I live right now, unfortunately, um, until they have their own health experts. So the FDA can't be trusted, but the New York public health authorities can. New York public health authorities were telling you, hey, go down to the uh, go down to the Chinese Lunar New Year festival in Chinatown in New York. And, you know, make sure you get as close to everybody as possible. They stopped just short of saying, why don't you have some people sneeze in your face and see how that goes for you? That's how stupid and reckless they were in the early stages of the coronavirus outbreak. But now we're supposed to think they're better than the one thing. I'll tell you this. The federal government has a lot of flaws, has a lot more money and resources than any state or local agency. When I went from the CIA to working at the NYPD Intel Division and the Intel Division is the best funded part of the NYPD. Uh, it was it was remarkable. Never forget when I was told I had to bring my own pens uh, to the office and they were serious. I said, where's the supply closet? Oh, we don't have a supply closet for that. Bring your own pens. I, th- I thought this was like a new guy thing. Nope, it was real. So the idea that the uh, state health authorities will be better than the FDA determining the safety of a vaccine is just uh, complete and complete and utter nonsense. Um, and I think we should all understand that up front here. And we should understand also that they're really trying hard to make sure that people can't hear any alternative points of view, despite the fact, despite the fact that the so-called experts have been wrong so many times. Here's the president slamming Governor Cuomo specifically on this issue. Play 16. So he's going to put together the same group of people probably that he used to put together in the nursing homes where 11,000 people died because they put heavily infected people in with the general population. Is that the people he's going to use to help us out? No, it's not. It doesn't work that way. There's a case of a politician that's so sad. We have Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer, Moderna, the greatest companies in the world. This has nothing to do with government. And they've come up with incredible vaccines. And when a politician is a real low life, when a politician is willing to say that and kill people and scare people from using something that's going to be great and really solve a big problem, they ought to be ashamed of, the, of themselves. I mean, he probably listens to his brother, Fredo. You know, Fredo has bad ratings on CNN. He probably listens to Fredo too much. <laughs> the president of the United States calling him Fredo. Wow. Here's Fredo talking about the president. Backing up his brother, I suppose. Play seven. Where's it getting these people? They're starving, Mr. President. We need tests. The more we count, the more we find trouble. You said you'd get more. Where are they? States need help. They need guidance. They're going to you. Where is it? The help that can be offered is being frozen by him. People are afraid to do things they could because he doesn't 
want them to. Why? You have to ask yourself that now. Why isn't he attacking this virus the way he did people who want to enter the country illegally? His best plan in the face of the pandemic moving by any metric is to attack the man that you trust most at the federal level to fight back. What exactly has Fauci told us that's been useful in the fight against the virus? We see a lot of people get sick. We saw in the early stages in particular. And then again, this summer, a lot of people every day were dying. What was what was Fauci telling us? Uh, Wear a mask. Actually, it was first it was don't wear a mask. And then it was wear a mask. And then it was, you know, distance socially, you know, the virus is going to spread, you know, however, it's going to spread all over. And yeah, okay. so we've heard that. But what was the great? Oh, testing and trace, right? Test and trace. That was supposed to be the big thing. Trace fell apart because, as I knew just from applying logic to it, that was completely absurd, right? That was that was frankly madness. So trace just was a joke. When you have so many cases, there's no way you're going to be able to trace anything. And then when you look at testing, you'd say, uh, hold on a second. What exactly has gone on here with the testing that has allowed us to control the virus better? If anything, we just have a lot of cases of low-level COVID with minimal to no symptoms that are showing up. And people are looking at the, the rate of, of, um, of testing right now, and they're saying, oh, of positivity, and they're saying, oh, my gosh, we need to lock down again. We need to lock down again. The only way through this is for is for people that are at very low risk to get this, clear it and be fine afterwards, just like President Trump, who wasn't even at low risk, as we know. But instead, they they attack the most basic concepts of of disease mitigation, like herd immunity, which is what a, a vaccine is supposed to get you to. And now they're even saying, oh, we a vaccine may not do it. And herd immunity is bad. So let's just keep hiding. This is what public health experts are saying. Dr. Fauci said, don't go be with your family over Thanksgiving. I mean, I think the guy's a jerk. And I've been saying it for a long time. I, I think he's really a problem. And Trump thinks he's an idiot. Play 18. People are tired of COVID. I have the biggest rallies I've ever had, and we have COVID. People are saying, whatever. Just leave us alone. They're tired of it. People are tired of hearing Fauci and all these idiots, mm. these, these people. These people that have gotten it wrong. Fauci's a nice guy. He's been here for 500 years. He called every one of them wrong. And he's like this wonderful guy, a wonderful sage. And yet we keep him. Every time he goes on television, there's always a bomb. But there's a bigger bomb if you fire him. It's true. It's true. This is what happens with these so-called nonpartisan bureaucrat types who get very senior in some federal federal agency. Uh, when they are messing up constantly, the idea of firing them becomes politically impossible, unpalatable. You, you can't fire them. Wh- why? Well, because it looks like you're trying to suppress. Well, what if he's just done a really bad job? Well, they won't believe that. Notice that there's so much anger directed at President Trump. Meanwhile, he's supposed to listen to Fauci and he has listened to Fauci. But no one on the left, no Democrats are angry at Fauci for his mistakes. There's no way. No, they revere him. He's like a saint. Why is that? He was supposed to be the expert here. You know, he's like the accountant. And, uh, you know, Trump is having tax problems, so to speak. It doesn't the accountant deserve a little bit of blame. I mean, the guy that's supposed to know everything that's going on here. No, of course not. I'm not even saying majority of blame. Just something. Nope. Not allowed. 
Fauci is is beyond reproach. He's practically a saint. And the reason for that is not because he's some genius who saved so many lives. It's because right now it is useful for the Democrats to have a guy who is a clear Democrat partisan making sure that everyone is as frightened and depressed about this virus as possible going into the election. That's why he's untouchable. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So our Republican majority refused to consider the Supreme Court nominee of a duly elected Democratic president on the supposed principle that the American people should have a voice in selecting their next Supreme Court justice. Now they're moving forward with the Supreme Court nomination while a presidential election is already underway. This is the most rushed, most partisan, least legitimate Supreme Court nomination process in our nation's history, in our nation's entire history, and it should not proceed. Therefore, I will move to adjourn the Senate until after the November 3rd election with the ability to come back into session if there's a bipartisan agreement on a COVID relief package. Fortunately, Chuck Schumer is not the Senate Majority Leader. Unfortunately, the Constitution uh, says that everything that he says is bogus. Well, that's not a surprise to any. It's what we're uh, what we know to expect from good old Chuck Schumer. This will certainly come up on Thursday when Amy Coney Barrett will be up for her. The first the beginning of this process, which I described you yesterday, where they'll have a a vote and they got to have the they want to have a vote. They got to have a cloture to stop the filibuster. Then they got a a day of like and the Senate proceedings, unless you work in the Senate, it's. It's a lot of a lot of people walking around, you know, with teacups in their hands, getting into the minutiae. But, yeah, you're going to have something this week for ACB. And it looks like by Sunday, she'll probably be confirmed. Right. Getting close up against the actual election, almost one week uh, out from the election. And I just think it's funny that Chuck Schumer now is, is presenting this to us like the Democrats are standing on some high principle here. No, they lost. Decisions and elections have consequences. They made a bad decision and they lost. That's what ends up happening in life. That's what's happening to them now. And they're still just complaining about it. I haven't entirely given up the notion that maybe there's some possibility that the Democrats try some last minute thing to derail the and they're going to try some minor things, but I don't think they'll really be able to derail it. Uh, But it's looking unlikely. It's looking unlikely. And at least the president will be in a position on Thursday to say, hey, not only did we find Hunter's emails, but it looks like I just got my or I'm about to get won't be done then, but I'm about to get the third Supreme Court justice appointed by President Trump on the court in his first not even eight years in his first four years in office. A pretty remarkable circumstance. No, no way around that. And uh, we'll have to see if that factors in heavily to the debate on Thursday. I, the last debate, oh, they're going to be able to mute people I see in this debate, right? Who, who wants to guess right now whether the moderators are going to mute equally both sides? Who, who wants to place a bet on that one? I'm, I'm pretty confident we're going to see, given who these moderators are, a whole lot of lib bias, but I do also believe the Trumpster is going to fight right through it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. 
Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. You know, Producer Mark, you know what I did last night? Sorry, I was telling people how to write in, but then I, went, I thought, Producer Mark, I, I cooked uh, a chicken breast recipe that I saw on TikTok, and all I had to do was watch the TikTok video a few times, and I did a fabulous job. Good for you. Thank you. That was like the highlight of my night. I, f- I felt pretty proud of that one. I'm glad. How about you, buddy? Anything fun and exciting going on? Uh, no, nothing really. You get like a meatball sub last night? Do anything cool? Nothing? I just ate the dinner that my wife left for me. What'd you leave for you? I don't even remember what it was anymore. Mm. But we know I have tacos tonight. Because of, of pot roast? Tacos. Oh, tacos. Oh. I can't go wrong with tacos. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's great tacos, there's good tacos, but as long as you've got shredded cheddar and sour cream, it's always at least good. Exactly. It's really what you put on the tacos. It doesn't really matter what the meat is. Yeah, because sometimes that taco meat can be a little suspect, but you know, I'm sure. I went guys... with chicken this time. Oh, mm. very chopped nice. up chicken breast. I remember they used to give us, and I feel like this has fallen out of favor. When I was a when I was a schoolboy back in the day in grammar school, they would give us sloppy joes. I feel like no one has. I feel like that's not really a thing anymore. Does anyone eat sloppy joes anymore? I, what What even are sloppy joes? Like, does anyone know what meat they are? It's kind of like ground meat with some. It's kind of gooey with some spices, and they put it on a hamburger bun, but it's not a hamburger. But I remember they used to they used to serve this to us. We had terrible food in my school growing up, and they used to serve this to us all the time. And I remember even then thinking, this is not good. I don't know why they're giving us this. School food is always awful, and you didn't even yeah. go to public school. And I also remember meatloaf used to get a really bad rap all the time. You know, on shows, they'd say, oh, you know, the, the so, you know, oh, honey, you made the meatloaf again. Meatloaf can be quite delicious, actually. My wife makes a great uh, turkey one stuffed with mozzarella cheese. But really, I just wanted to brag not only about my cooking skill, but beyond that, that I'm on TikTok and uh, starting to like I've just started. I'm just beginning. Are you making TikToks? No, not yet. Not yet. Working on that. But uh, in the meantime, I'm definitely, you know, doing what I can to learn about it. And uh, that's where the cool kids are now. Mark. There's a lot of conservatives on there. I'm starting to see that. Well, yeah, now that they're forcing a sale of it, it, I think people are less concerned about the Chinese espionage component. So, and the Chinese already have my information because I work for the federal government and they hacked the OPM. So there was that. Yeah. Good times. All righty. Let's get to the actual roll call. Um, and remember, Facebook, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buckets, teambucket, iheartmedia.com. If you want to email us or if you want to send an Instagram message, please do. Buck Sexton, follow me there. Philip writes, Joy Behar is like the old queen's babushka wearing a paisley apron and headscarf gossiping over the garden fence. If it wasn't for your hilarious impersonations, the use of the view sound bites would be intolerable. If you and other commentators would stop citing them, the view would probably shrivel up and blow away. Thanks for being on. Shields high. So, Philip, I, I agree. There's always this part of me that feels like sometimes by citing something to buck slap it, right, by playing an audio so that we can uh, e- eviscerate the stupidity, we are giving additional air to that idiocy. But, you know, I, I try to establish limits with this because there are also times, there are also circumstances where you would look at this and say, this is pretty mainstream thinking on the on the left. I mean, this is actually what 
a lot of Democrat voters, you know, they, they watch. I mean, there are millions of people that watch The View every day. And they, a majority of them clearly agree with the women on that show, or at least the left-wing lean of that show. And since you've asked about uh, view clips, here is the uh, most famous, most well-known of those hosts expressing her feelings on the election. Six. What is he talking about? I'm in a depression now because I am. Every time I see him, he depresses me. Everything he says is pissing me off and depressing me. I, I don't know what rocket he's on, but I'm getting off the rocket he's on. That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. So she's not happy about Trump, in case you couldn't tell. Not a fan. Not a fan at all. Uh, but yeah, that's sometimes you have to address. I mean, that's like when we when we talk about and Whoopi Goldberg is a celebrity. I mean, a real not like a new TV news celebrity, but she was in movies and she's a Hollywood celebrity. There are other people as well who are not very well informed on politics and I think say very, very foolish things, but they have such a huge following. I'm always I always find it remarkable. You know, they'll say Taylor Swift comes out in favor of Joe Biden. Yeah, great. Now, you and I know that that means that should mean nothing to a, a well-informed person of good judgment. But Taylor Swift has pretty smart. How many Twitter followers does she have? Like a hundred million or something? I think she's a more lot. Than Trump. Probably. Yeah. I think she's more than Trump. I mean, uh, you know, online, she's one of the most famous people in the world. And so when she says something, even if it's coming from a place of being ill-informed and being a, a conformist, really, to what the left demands all the time, which is that everybody vote Democrat constantly, even from that perspective, you, you, you have to remember, still gets a lot of people to listen to what she says. And I kind of liked what was the album that she put out maybe five, four or five years ago? There were some good. I'm not going to sing it to you now, producer Mark, because I don't want it. It's Please only don't. Tuesday and I need you to show up for work the rest of the week. But there was some stuff, uh, you know. My uh, wife uh, loves her, her favorite artist. Yeah, no, she looks. She's a, she's a, a megastar, obviously, and she came. And there was another one who's not quite as famous, who this week said that she's coming out in favor of Biden, and she doesn't care what it does to her career, which was hilarious. Uh, I can't remember. I, I want maybe it was Demi Lovato. Does that sound right? I think it was somebody like that. So somebody whose name, you, you know, if you're like me and you don't really follow pop music today, you have heard the name, but you don't know. I think it was Demi Lovato. But anyway, but I just thought that was funny, too. The bravery of being a pop musician in America today and saying you're not a Trump supporter. How, how brave, fearless and brave. Yes, of course. By the way, uh, Trump and T-Swizzle, same amount of Twitter followers. Really? 87.3 million. Look at that. Yeah, but there you go. I mean, the leader of the free world, young lady who's attractive and sings good. <laughs> that's there you go. Same Twitter following. That's 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 how uh, that's the world we live in right now, folks. Justin uh, Buck and Mark, I attended the Trump peaceful protest and in Carson City, and I saw a group of guys with a Buck Sexton 2024 shirt. I want to know where I can get my own. Sounds like a solid plan to me after Trump leads us for the next four years. Shields high. Uh, Justin, that's amazing. I didn't even know there was such a T-shirt in circulation or that anyone owned one. Uh, so please let me know if you find out. I would love to uh, get some of those T-shirts for myself to give out to people. I don't think I I think if I wore it, you don't want to be the guy that wears the T-shirt of your own band kind of a thing. But did you know about this producer, Mark? No, I, I didn't. 
Years ago, some Team Buck folks made T-shirts that said uh, had kind of a screenshot photo of me and said, Truth, Liberty, the Buck Sexton Show, Truth, Liberty, and Great Hair. So that was uh, that oh, was fun. I'm sure whomever made the shirts are listeners. So if you are, email us at teambuck at iheartmedia.com and I'll, I'll get in contact with you. There we go. Yeah, we would we would love to actually see some photos of this and check it out for ourselves. That would be a lot of fun. Really appreciate the support, guys. I mean, it's what keeps us going on on cold, rainy days in New York City during COVID lockdown. At least I got all of you out there across America, and that certainly is uh, is very encouraging. And, uh, you know, producer Mark appreciates it, too. He wants to give you all a hug, although he doesn't necessarily put it in those terms. You know, COVID. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a safety thing, safety thing. Uh, next up here, Douglas. Hello, Bucket producer Mark. One of the things I like most about the podcast, apart from the group therapy and dealing with this crazy liberal world, and I mean crazy, are the other tips and insights. For example, I am totally into smooth jazz now that you got me hooked on Bosch. Thanks. Douglas, I really appreciate that, man. I try to throw things in that aren't just, you know, news cycle and political analysis and you know, cultural philosophy and stuff like that. I, I try to, you know, throw other things in there just so you might pick something up. I think of all the times people have, A lot of things have come from this audience for me. I've gotten people who have told me to watch a movie or a show. They send me a a roll call message or they just, you know, they they tweet something at me and I'll check it out. I got into I can tell you this team buck. People got me into uh, hell on wheels. Very good show. Uh, Got me into Bosch. Actually, very good show. Um, Pole dark, which I, I liked. Um you know, a fair amount. And uh, yeah, there are, there are a bunch of shows that I know of only because of people in this audience telling me to, to watch them. And I think I put a lot of people, I was an early evangelist for the last kingdom. So I got a lot of people to, to watch that show in my life and people that I know. But uh, that also came from somebody in team buck told me to watch the last Cause I liked the Viking show that was on the history channel, history channel, but it got a little weird. And I thought that the first, I thought the first season of the last kingdom was a better show than the first season of the uh, Viking show. So if I line them up side by side, yeah, there we go. Uh, now we have Michael who writes, Mr. Sexton. I'm a 60 year old conservative Democrat geezer listening to your program on 98.9 FM WHYN in Springfield, Massachusetts. Since you were once a spy, what spy authors do you read, if any? My favorite is the late Charles McCary, who was a deep cover, uh, deep cover operative back in the day. I also like Alan First, Joseph Cannon, and Daniel Silva. Thanks. Hey, Michael, thanks so much for listening. And Springfield, Mass, I, I, know, that, I know that city uh, reasonably well because that's where, when I didn't have a car and had to go to college, that was the uh, place you could take a train to to get to Amherst, Massachusetts. So I know, I know Springfield, so shout out for WHYN. And uh, in terms of, I think I went to a couple of really good restaurants in Springfield back in the day, though I can't remember them now. That was like 20 years ago. In terms of uh, CIA books, um, man, I haven't, since I left the agency, I'm much less interested in that espionage world. I don't really spend as much time reading about it, thinking about it as I used to. I'm more into just history now instead of the history of uh, whether it's special operations or, or espionage and intelligence activities. So, I mean, I, look, I think Tom Clancy is, for me, still the, the greatest thriller 
writer, but I haven't really, I haven't really read uh, uh, some of the some of the greats that are out there. I've never read Daniel Silva, who you write about uh, here. Uh, so that so my knowledge on this is is limited. I'll tell you honestly, I haven't read a lot of uh, of spy thrillers. I know John Le Carre is really really popular, right? Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Vince and- Flynn is very popular. Vince Flynn is very popular. Uh, so I, I don't know. I haven't. I, I spend so much of my time reading nonfiction. I really have to make a concerted effort. I have to say, you know what? I'm going to read some fiction. And it rarely happens for me, but it does happen. Uh, another Team Buck recommendation, uh, Gates of Fire by Pressman, uh, about the fight at Thermopylae between the Persians and the, uh, and the Spartans. Great book. Very re- it's a novel. It's a historic it's historical fiction, but super readable, like uh, like a an action movie for your brain. I don't you know, or I guess all action. You know what I mean? That you have to read instead of watch. So I really enjoyed that one. Um, that also came from someone on the team years ago. So I do. I listen to the recommendations that come in all the time. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Throwing some more roll call your way. Uh, we have JJ who writes in, hey, Buck, just a random thought. If there's any justice in the world, the HBO movie about the COVID-19 pandemic, Dr. Fauci uh, will be played by Gilbert Gottfried. Face diapers off and shields high. Well, Gilbert Gottfried is more up here. Like, I can't even really get up there. He's, he has that gravelly, but it's uh, his octave is is higher. You know, he's obviously a Iago in the Disney, the original Disney Aladdin animated film. I don't think I could do a Gilbert Godfrey, and I would probably scratch up my throat trying to do it. So, yes, indeed. Um, Michael, Fauci doesn't want to be political, yet ends up on 60 Minutes. Fauci really pisses me off. But Trump talking about him more as a pet really cracks me up. The next time he pulls his TV crap, Trump needs to tell him to report to the Oval Office and bring the published and peer-revealed studies he used to support the crap he uh, shouts. Shields high. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. Uh, I Look, I, you know I've, I've been anti-Fouch, and he's a guy went to my high school, right? We should have something, uh, if not uncommon, at least a little bit of a bonding point there. But nope. Nope, I'm sure he'll be he'll be like a Fauci gymnasium. Just give it a few years. There will never be a Buck gym, gymnasium there, no matter how much I do, whatever, whatever my career turns into, uh, because the, the Jesuits, some of them are great. Most of them are commies. And I'm not uh, I'm not backing off of that one because it's pretty much true. Uh, I also think that there are a lot of Catholic leaders who are way too, way too sanguine about Catholics voting for a party that, as you know, is openly advocating for things in direct violation of core Catholic, uh, core Catholic beliefs, but conversation for another day. Uh, But yeah, no, Fauci's very political. Dennis writes, you know, you're my number one podcast, man. I'm a great pass the buck listener waiting like a trap just to be sprung. As soon as someone says, where can I get no nonsense news and opinion? Bam, Buck Sexton. I shout and then not only uh, explain, not only will you be well informed, but thoroughly entertained as well. My dear daughter-in-law is the latest to jump on board, but how can I continue to pass the buck when you have dissed my dearly beloved Fleetwood Mac? Oh, no, Dennis, I'm sorry. Take it back, Buck. I'll give you a pass this time only because of your young age. You have not fully comprehended the complexities of Fleetwood Mac. 
Thanks for your great work. And although mine is a little lower today, Shields High. Dennis, thank you. Shields High, back to you. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know what? We could strike. Since you're a big pass the buck person, and you're clearly doing God's work with that, and we thank you so much, uh, we can strike my Fleet, Fleetwood Mac comments from the record. I'm never, bu- I'm never backing off of the boss, but we can strike Fleetwood Mac from the record. Yeah, in that, fact, that your, one, your first TikTok will be the viral one with the Fleetwood Mac song. There you, is there is there a Fleetwood Mac TikTok right now? Yeah, there was the guy who was on a skateboard drinking cranberry juice to the Fleetwood Mac song Dreams. That's hey. huge everywhere now. I'd have to check that one out. That's going to be the show today, team. Please do pass the buck. It's a great time in the uh, height of the election. A lot of people interested in politics. Somebody asked, where do you get your information? Tell them to be- download this podcast. Until tomorrow, Shields High.